Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Right, quickly, before we get on with the episode, we've got an announcement. The MMA Fan Podcast is now sponsored by Free Train. Blake, what's Free Train? Free Train is a fantastic company that do these amazing vests for when you run, when you train. Whether you're going for a run or hitting the bag, you can keep your phone close to your chest. And uh, yeah, they're brilliant. They've got a little pocket for your keys. You know more or do you need to have your phone rumbling around in your pocket or at an awkward angle on your arm or anything like that. You've got the vest on phones there easy access to it they do some great uh gloves as well to keep your hands warm and be able to touch the phone and everything it's all linked up with your phone so yeah they're a fantastic brand a couple of pockets for your keys everything you need when you go for a run or if you're hitting the bag training and you're not just saying this for the sake of it before they even become our sponsors you had one of these vests didn't you yeah yeah, I've, well, I've still got it. I run with it all the time. But yeah, before they became our sponsors, I had one of these vests. They are genuinely brilliant. I really like them. And uh, yeah, I'm really pleased they're our sponsor. And if you want one, if you head over to freetrain.com, when you go shopping and you put all your stuff in your in your basket, just before you check out, if you put in the code MMAFAN, you'll save yourself 10%. Don't say we don't spoil you here on this podcast. 10% off an amazing vest from Free Train. www.freetrain.com. All right, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Stu and Blake. Hello and welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. I'm Stu Whiffin, sitting opposite me via Zoom. It's Blake Harrison and I'm laughing because you did what I do. You did the big hands out. It was like a big jazz hands. You're like, hello! (laughs) And I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. See, it got me pumped up for the show. I'm very excited now because you've done that. Wonderful. Well, the reason, uh, not only because of my jazz-tastic opening uh, hand movements there, the reason we're excited is uh, today's guest. It's Brett Johns. Former UFC fighter, currently fighting in Bellator, fight coming up soon, and... Oh, I'm just super hyped for it. Yep, yep. So he's fighting at Bellator 259 on May 21st. So that is coming up very, very soon. And he's fighting uh, Mateus Matos, who uh, is only lost to Peter Yan and Magomed Magomedov. Um, so he's, this is no easy fight for Brett Johns in his, his 
Bellator debut, but we're, we're going to be right behind him. And I think after listening to this interview, I think you're going to be all right behind him as well because he's infectious in, in the best possible way. He's, he's you know, yeah. he, he's made me smile throughout the whole of the interview. And yet he talks about some really serious issues as well mm. uh, coming up here. And um, yeah, he's very open, very honest, uh, confesses to being like a very sensitive bloke as well. And, it, you know, it's that whole thing of he's, he's, he's not what your stereotype of uh and wrongful stereotype i might have of an mma fighter is and yeah it's it's great to listen to him chat absolutely i don't think me and you need to be waffling anymore i think we should just get straight on with the episode let's do it ladies and gentlemen is brett johns welcome to today's uh podcast um brett and we always like to um start things off by just kind of going back to the beginning really and just asking how and when you got into combat sports? My, um, to be honest, like I said, it's it's back in South Wales. It's crazy growing up, you know, especially where we're from uh, in Swansea. You know, being brought up on a on a council estate. Here. Um my mother was a single parent with um, with three kids. Um, I got an older sister, then it's me, and then it's my uh, brother who's a year and a half younger than me. And I felt like my mother just. Kind of, we were always in, always playing and stuff. But my mother wanted to take us to a local uh, judo school, so um, we ended up going there. I think I was four years old. My my uh, my brother was three years old, and then we ended up doing judo. All I ended up doing judo up until the ages of sixteen. You know, with aspiration of being a a competitor in the twenty twelve Olympics. That was the the goal, really. When I when I originally set out in 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 the sport of judo, but it just became an unrealistic goal, and um, unfortunately, I feel like um, not that I failed in what I did, but I didn't get to do what I wanted to do. And I guess looking back now, that probably would have been quite detrimental. But you know, I I I, I did the more sensible thing, which was trying to do the sport of judo, but put it towards something else. Like for example. I couldn't use judo on a football pitch. I'd get sent off a lot, but I couldn't, I couldn't do that, you know. I'm but, pretty sure um, I've seen Teddy Sheringham use judo on a football pitch once before. It was pretty impressive, actually. Old Teddy Sheringham loves the judo throw. Um, but, but, but like like I said, I, and I, I knew I was watching a lot of mixed martial arts and um, someone you guys would definitely have heard of. I, I used to watch a lot of, uh, a, a lot, a lot of this show called WEC, which Brad Pickett was a, was a big name on that, you know. And um, yeah, I just decided at the age of sixteen that I that I wanted to do it, and um, I've, I haven't looked back since, really. You know. And so, was there like places in 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 Swansea that was, you know, evolving to 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 then train people as mixed martial artists, or was it a case of you then went and learned Muay Thai, or you then went and boxed, or, or was there like clubs that were doing like the whole kind of mixed martial arts? When when I was when I started mixed martial arts, I'd say it was more. We were just coming out of the the dark the dark era where the game was run by thugs, um, ex drug dealers. You know, you name it, they were they were filling the game up. You know, and um, I felt like I I begun my journey in this sport as that period was finishing. But then again, there wasn't many mixed martial arts schools there. So doing judo with my stepfather uh, up up until the age of sixteen, and then I wanted to do mixed martial arts. I, I was quite Believe it or not, I'm not a very intelligent person, but when it came to mixed martial arts, it was 
I knew exactly what I needed to do, which was very strange. And I knew I needed to work on my ground game, needed to work on boxing, needed to work on the Muay Thai element. So that's what I did, you know. I ended up going to my local um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu school and I was there for 12 years, you know. And I've always been primarily a grappler, but I've worked on my my, my striking skill set. Um, like I said, that, that part's been very difficult because... You know, I've grappled my my whole life really, up from four until twenty nine. I've just grappled, and uh, I'll always do that in my fights, no matter what. It's, it's what brought me to where I'm at today. This gym I, I'm, I'm currently in at the minute was because of the, the grappling aspect of what I do, and um, yeah, everything's evolving. But back then, it was I just used to grapple heavy, so I had a good wrestling background, which is very rare for a for a for a Brit to have good wrestling. Mm. But also with the the grappling aspect as well. So you said you you started at four. Is that, so you from a very early age probably knew how to sort of handle yourself. But one thing I I don't know whether you can necessarily be taught is is the kind of mental aspect of of fighting and 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 handling yourself in a physical confrontation. Is that something that? that also came naturally to you, given kind of the areas that you grew up in? Or or was it something that you had to kind of work on, that kind of mental aspect? Because clearly doing judo from the age of four, you you were probably confident enough, right? Yeah, yeah no, really. I, was, I, I think the reason why my mother put me into judo was because of I was quite a... Um, timid, quiet kid, I guess you could say. It definitely, though brought the the confidence out in me doing doing judo you know and I, I i used to i hate i hate arguing i hate like basically any sort of conf- confrontation I, I hate i hate fighting in general i just I, i'm not a big fan of it the sport of mixed martial arts i absolutely love but when it comes to actual you know, like falling out with people i i don't like it so that side of things no i, I wouldn't say i'm a very sort of confident person in that aspect but when it comes to competing in this in sport i love that you know it's just it's mad really. it's it's so confusing that i don't like fighting but yet again i like fighting that's basically what i'm trying to say you know i like i love the sport of mixed martial arts i love the sports i love the sport inside of it in general but when it comes to outside of that like growing up i never got in many fights i used to try and avoid them at all costs you know like I said, my nickname in the judo club was Crybaby. I used to cry all the time, you know, that was it. And then when it turned around, I hit 16 years old and, and I wanted to cross over to the mixed martial arts. That's when, I don't know, man, it just seems as, as if the, the the tougher side of me woke up, I guess you could say. And um, yeah, I've, I've, I've had some some crazy old fights, which I've had to rely on that sort of skill set there. And um yeah, I, I definitely say the years of doing judo and, and, and mixed martial arts in the early days has, has definitely brought that confidence out in me as a, as a competitor. And yeah, I, like I said, it's, it's, it's an aspect now which I use very well. And it's mad because when I was a kid, my mother tells me all the time, she goes, I never thought you would, would have been doing this sport when you were younger, you know? That's amazing. I mean, I think I was probably nicknamed Crybaby on the football pitch, let alone on a sport where you were actually trying to like hurt each other slightly. So it gives me confidence that maybe maybe one day I, I will find the inner tough guy in me. <laughs> yeah, definitely, man. You know, it's it's mad, see, because 
that that was the thing with me. Like, everybody always says the same. I had a bet on my dad. It's a funny little story, actually. I had a bet on my on my stepfather, and um, you know, I, I think as a I, I haven't got children, but I guess if if your child comes up to you and says, "I want to be a cage fighter," I guess the alarm bells start going off really. But um, I ended up having to sit down and said to my mother and father, "Mom, Dad, you know, I want to be I want to be a cage fighter. You know, I want to be a mixed martial artist. I want to." And my dad looked at me and laughed, and he said. Brett, you fall over and cry. Like, why do you want to be a mixed martial artist? Well, you get punched <laughs> in the face. And then I said, no, this is what I want to do. I want to, I want to compete you. And I don't know, my parents kind of said, oh, I don't think it's, it's going to be good for you. And it got to a point where I was arguing with them that I wanted to fight. And I said to my dad, I said, I'll get to 10 and 0 pro. And I said, and when I get to 10 and 0 pro, you will buy me a belt. I said, I'll prove you wrong. And I had my first five amateur fights and went to 5 and 0. And then I went to 10 and 0 as a professional and I come home one day and there was a belt on my bed. So that was uh, my dad's way of saying, you, you proved me wrong. So uh, here's the belt, you know. And, he, and in regards to that, you know, working on that confidence and, and before we even kind of get to, to, you know, to your time in the UFC and that Bellator, um, in those, those, those early fights, uh, and, and and approaching them fights with confidence and what have you got a a routine that that you do before you walk out to the octagon and has that changed as your career's developed or have you got a kind of a format that, that that you adhere to every time you fight is there a process that you do in the back room before you walk out I think realistically it's all been the same th- throughout the whole career what I I might be different to most fighters but I feel the the nervous energy before the fight is the exact same every time. You know, I think it's the, I'm, I'm just as scared as I've been for my first ever amateur fight to my last ever, you know, UFC fight. It's been the sort of same sort of nervous energy. And I'll be honest, I'll speak to it in detail about it. it it's, I, I walk to the cage. I'm very scared. You know, I feel, you know, this is probably the most nerve-wracking thing I've ever had to do. And then, you know, you're walking out, you listen to your favourite song on the way out and, and that nervous energy just gets multiplied by 10 when you listen to a song while you're feeling like that. And then you get to the side of the cage and then you're getting checked over and you're getting the Vaseline put on and then you look back at your corner and these are the people who have spent the last six, seven, eight, ten, twelve weeks or whatever it is preparing you for this fight and and that's where you say your goodbyes um and then you walk in the cage which in my opinion is the most loneliest place in the world you know you, you get although your corner men are so close to you they seem so far away and every time i think like this it just makes me feel so much more scared before before actually fighting but i feel like that that nervous that nervous energy that being scared moment in my in that time kind of brings out that fight to me where I genuinely believe that every time I fight, I do genuinely fight for my life. And I think that's the way I do fight because, you know, at the end of the day, if I let this guy have his own way, then then I'm go- I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to get physically hurt you. So there is an element of my mindset. Physically, I do everything the same, but my mindset, I have certain points in my, like, um, in my warm-up as I'm walking out, as I'm walking at the cage that I'm thinking. And then, when I'm standing opposite the cage, like I've stood opposite the cage with some scary old people and um, looking over the cage of people like Pedro Munoz, Alderman Sterling, you know, Joe Soto, looking across them guys. And the last question I say to myself before the ref says go, I say, Brett, 
have you done everything in your power in camp to get this fight done? And I've said yes every time. I've never had to question myself on that. And um, that's generally the, the mindset process I have when I walk out to a fight anyway. Does that have... Um... Does it have any impact on you, the kind of expectation of of the fans from Great Britain and Wales, obviously, like knowing that there's, there's you know, the whole of Wales is going to be like there, just willing you to win and wanting you to win. Does does that ever enter into your mindset? Yeah. Uh, the, the last, the last fights do be, being like in, um, in Fight Island and, being in Fight Island and not having the crowd there was 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 a, in my opinion a very negative thing for myself. Um, I remember my 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 UFC debut in Belfast and having my 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 Welsh like support there, most of them were family and friends, and I was so scared and I think the crowd had got me pumped up so much that I couldn't even remember walking to the actual cage itself. It was wow. such a such a nerve wracking experience, and then. Then the fight happened, and then it was three five-minute rounds, and I don't remember up to an hour and a half after that fight. And even to this day, I still don't know what happened an hour and a half after my UFC debut. And I, I do feel like it's that, it's that support and that nervous energy and the people there who are pushing you. Like having no fans in, in, in these venues, it, honestly, it, it's, it's heartbreaking. It is. And, and it generally does put that extra 5% into my game. I truly believe that. And it's a shame that this next one's going to have to be the same sort of way that is going to be no fans there. But I know we're coming to the end of that. But um, having that support there, that that Welsh support, that UK support, honestly, it's um, it's like having that extra person just whispering in your ear when, when, when times get tough in that fight, look, you can do this. And that Belfast fight for my UFC debut... It's, ironically, I'll always remember it, but I'll always remember not remembering anything really. You know, what was more, what was more daunting for you? Then you mentioned your UFC debut, uh, but also you were you you were a Titan FC champion and, and Cage Warriors champion. Is that that that's right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, so I, I won what, my my. Um... Go on, sorry. No, sorry. I, I was just going to say, what was more daunting for you? Well, fighting for titles or the UFC? debut because obviously the UFC is put on such a pedestal in terms of you know the, the biggest organization within the sport to a lot of people so what what's more daunting fighting for a world title or doing your UFC debut that's a good question um but honestly it's, it's mad because like my, my cage my cage warriors world title I had a fight twice in one night for that you know I had a fight I did a three five minute round fight and then an hour and a half later, I had to go into a world title fight and fight five fives. So, yeah, that was quite a nervous experience. But compared to the UFC, it, it wasn't even on par. You know, you, 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 you kind of grow up in this game. And, and the mecca of mixed martial arts, in my opinion, was the UFC when I, when, I start, when I did it then. You know, and to actually put them black leather gloves on, which say UFC across them, was such a huge moment in my life, you know, and um, the nervous feeling, I think that's why I did blackout just because the, the, the nervous feeling before the fight had probably mentally put me in that way. And um, yeah, it doesn't even come on par. I'd say, although I've been scared for every single fight I've had that debut in, um, in, in Belfast and, it, and, it, and, and it was against a really good guy. It was against a, uh, a South Korean guy called Kwan Ho Kwak, who was a who was a two-time 
world champion with a with two different promotions, such as I was. And it was uh, it was probably to this day one of my greatest performances. And I do believe that's because of the nervous energy before the fight and how I felt. You know, one of the things that. Um... You know, you said that you ask yourself before, you know, before the fight starts, have I done everything that, that I need to do? Um, and you've always said yes. And and one of the things that we like to ask fighters about is the kind of, you know, how much of that pre-fight ritual, uh, you know, is based around that, that, that weight cut. And is that something that's that you find quite easy to do? Or is that something that is a big part of your training that can can be can be a drag i mean i'm it's, i imagine it's a drag for most fighters but what i mean is is it you know something that is is a big part of the fight for your weight cut like what's your what's your sort of approach and thoughts on on weight cutting i would definitely say that this sport has um when i when i come into this sport i never would have i would never would have said i had any issues you know when it comes to physical issues mental issues and like that but becoming a professional in this game it's definitely come with a lot of negatives you know I, i've got a lot of pros of course i've got a lot of pros i'm sitting in my own little my own little setup here, my own little gym you know and that's because of fighting so there's a lot of pros that go with this sport but i think a lot of fighters won't really speak about the negative side of things which is quite big in my opinion you know um i watched a documentary a few uh, a few weeks ago on freddie flintoff living with like um uh being being bulimic really you know and i've realized that watching them documentaries that I definitely have issues with my diet and with weight cutting and with eating food. You know, I have, and and it's and it's completely and utterly generated from this sport. I never had it before. I did the sport, but all of a sudden now I've got it. And yes, I've gone better in that area where I used to struggle years ago. You know, I used to skip meals just to make sure I I was lighter. You know, my my girlfriend say I'd pass the shop window and I'd have to lift my top up to check how I look and how I see and if I look big or if I look fat or do you know what I mean? And um, it it you know that was the the side of things which I know it's kind of scarred me. Doing my earlier careers it kind of scarred me. So a lot of my training now has has sole focus on making weight really. So I do a lot of conditioning, cardio based stuff to get my weight down and. Since this this pandemic has hit, I've kind of stepped it up a gear with my professionalism when it comes to this diet and when it comes to trying to lose weight. And I, I'm becoming better, but I, I've kind of accepted that this will always be an issue for me personally uh, when it comes to the diet side and, and the eating side of fighting and, um, and cutting weight, unfortunately. And I think it's because of the first couple of fights of trying to make weight and, and failing weight a few times. It's um, it scarred me, really, you know? Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. 
Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have it to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That's so interesting because we, we uh, and I'm really sorry to hear you have gone through that and that, that you feel like that's going to be with you for a long time. Because, I mean, we see the polar opposite of it. You you see some fighters that, you know, outside of camp, they balloon. They, they, they are absolutely massive. And you don't necessarily hear a lot about fighters that have gone the other way and outside of camp are having issues with with, with weight or thinking about weight. Uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but like not just from a, a, a sporting point of view. Now it's you feel like it, it's it's part of you, even even outside of of training and fighting in mixed martial arts. This is something that will be something that you you think about or you consider before having you know those cheat meals and things like that. Well, yeah, no, it's like and, and like it it it's it's I it's not it never has affected my relationship with my girlfriend, but my girlfriend would be a better person to speak about this with the decisions that I make. Um, I don't have cheap meals. You'll see me, I'll pick at something. I'm not going to say like I'm, I'm, like I've had a 15 week, sorry, a 17 week camp to this point. And I will get a day where like I'll I'll eat a sweet, but don't get me wrong. The mental battles I've got then for eating that sweet would be completely and utterly just like, there's no point. So I stopped doing cheap meals because of, it's not worth, I can afford to do it, I can afford to eat these meals. If I want to go and eat the pizza, I can actually afford to do it because I'm in, I'm, I've, my body's co- conditioned enough now so I can eat this meal and it wouldn't really have much of, a, of, a, of an effect. But the mental side of things, it's not worth the mental problem I'm going to have eating this cheat meal. So I prefer just eat my normal meals and get through that week. After a fight, like you said, I, I will balloon up. I have... I used to go so big, really big. I used to go from like, you know, I bear in mind I fight at 61 kilos and I remember jumping on the scales a few a few, a few, few years back and I was like 77 kilos. It's like 16 kilos over my fight weight, which is ridiculous. I look like a bowling ball. I had a, I had a circle head. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I did have them problems. And, and like now I have, I have, I wouldn't say, like, like I said, I wouldn't say I've got it sussed out that because I haven't but I've got a handle on it and and that's and that is thankful to the people I've got behind me right now my, my brother's a massive part in that with even he says to me say it's okay we, we're accepting it you know it is what it is this is the problem I, I guess that w- with the highest level in any sport there's going to be some sort of issues I've got issues with a lot of things I've got issues with when it comes to speaking about money with 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 with, t- with, with my team, I got issues about talking about food. I got I got loads of issues, but it's okay. I think the first part of, of dealing with that is accepting it, and and I have accepted it. But the my biggest issue was probably with was weight cutting, you know. And um, bear in mind, this I, I'm I'm not I'm not afraid to say it's a lot. I lost I lost my two world titles because of it. You know, I've never, I've never lost a world title fight, but I did get two belts taken off me because of weight issues. You know, and and I, ever since then, I've been bang on. I made weight every single time, but I think it was because of my lack of knowledge in the, in the weight cutting program. Because we're not like rugby teams or football teams where they've got these like they've got millions of pounds pumped into the sort of diet side of things. You know, and 
the UFC PI wasn't about the, you know years ago. You know, it was only this is only for UFC fighters. You know, so everybody has outside that promotion. You got to kind of find your own way of doing it. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of people. There wasn't back then anyway that could have helped me really. And you, you said you've got issues with with talking about uh, money, and you've been through quite a lot of times in your life, from what I've seen, of of, of not having much money to the point where there was um, uh, a, a situation where didn't you spend like a few months basically living in the gym that you were working at, like just in you had a sleeping bag in the gym and you were just there because you couldn't afford the the bus ticket home. Is that have I got that right? Yeah, that's that that that's. That story is accurate. That story is 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 accurate because I can tell you the the price of a ticket is two pounds empty. You know what I mean? Like a, a ticket back from 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 the bus from the gym back home, and I couldn't. I got to a point where, and bear in mind, I I I I think I'd been a world champion by this point, and I couldn't afford that. So, I'm I'm at, at my bed at the time. I remember was two leather couches pushed together, and I had my sleeping bag. You know, I I get woke. You know the fighters that have actually lived in gyms because when when a fighter tells you I I live in the gym and they and they're bragging about it, they they don't live in the gym because if you live in the gym, you know it's not a very nice place to live. You know, I remember li- like being in this in this gym and I could do wrestling. I wasn't the only person. I wasn't the only living thing in that gym. I don't think at the time. <laughs> you do wrestling oh, no. about the place and uh, and uh, I, I I I I lived like that to the point where. The, the gym had like a sky box and I'd, I'd fall for it every time and I'd go on sky and I'd see the Simpsons and I'd go, yes, sir. And I'd click on there and there'd be no sky card in the sky box. So I wasn't able to watch it. I'd fall for that every single night after training. And it was, <laughs> and I, the, the, the moments like that, you, you just, you can't believe that. Like it's, and like I look back now and obviously, you know, that them times have built me into the character I am. And it's mad because I feel like I'm a very, when it comes to fighting, I feel like I'm a very tough person when it comes to fight. I can take a shot, like I, I'm very good, but when it comes to everyday life, I feel like, yeah, I'm probably not as tough, you know, in that area. And but was there a point where you thought this may never happen? Or did you always believe, even in those kind of dire situations where you can't even afford the bus ticket home, did you always have the belief that, no, I am going to make a career out of this sport? I did feel like that the the career side of things for myself. I felt like yeah, I think I I could have made it into a career, but I felt like I was doing everything I could to make it into a career, but it just wasn't happening. It just wasn't taking off. I I'd won two world titles, and there wasn't even a phone call from the UFC. And I thought, you know, it wasn't as if like I had a mixed record. I was twelve and zero. I was undefeated. I I, I never lost a fight, you know. And when I had my tight, I had the title fight with with Titan FC, and then I went out for my first defense. In uh, I fought a Ultimate Fighter veteran and uh, beat him. So I was twelve and zero in the July of twenty fifteen, and then I had a fight. I was at a fight schedule for the March of twenty sixteen, but then dislocated my shoulder in January. Uh, so, so I dislocated my shoulder in the January two years prior. But then it's that the long term effect that started coming to play, where it would just dislocate during training. So I needed to undergo surgery. So I was 12 and 0. I was just just come off my shoulder surgery where it was going to take six months to kind of to kind of heal. There was no phone call from the UFC. So at that point, I'd say in like the May of of 2016, I I kind of was not accepting, but I kind of thought that this was becoming the end of the journey, you know. And I'd won two world titles. 
And it was just, that was very hard to accept at the time. Very, very hard. But it was one of them things where I just thought, you know, I guess this is it. This is the luck of the draw, you know. This is not the sport. Unfortunately, I always tell, I always tell the fighters in this game, if you become, if you're under, if you're underprepared, you go into a fight, you're not prepared enough, you will get exposed. But in the same breath, you could do everything you can do, train as best you can, and you can still get exposed. This sport is so unforgiving. And it's all about opportunities and taking opportunities at the right time. Doesn't necessarily mean just taking opportunity, you'll get there. It's taking opportunities at the right time and, pick, and pick, stylistically picking the right fights, not the easy fights, the right fights. And at that point in my career, I was kind of, I kind of accepted that maybe this was going to be the end of the road for me. You know, I, I, and I, the surgery I had on my shoulder wasn't small surgery, it was big surgery. It was like, I'm not even sure if I'm going to be able to come back from the shoulder surgery. And that was in the May of 2016. And then fast forward a few months later, and I get a phone call. Hey, Brett, do you want to take a UFC fight in Belfast on November 2016? And it changed on a flip of a coin. And I haven't looked back and I have never, touch wood, I've never been in that rut since that since that that time, really. I've seen the video of that call, that video, because uh, your manager recorded it, didn't he? And then I think it's part of some other interviews you've done and stuff. And you, your reaction, you were so, it gets me emotional a little bit because you, you, you did, you, you kind of burst into tears. You were, you were just, it seemed like this, because I knew a little bit about your story, literally living in the gym and stuff like that. You really just this outpouring of emotion. It looked like just years and years of hard work and you finally got um, some kind of, uh, of validation, you know, and, and it, it's, it's, it's emotional to watch you in that, in that moment react to getting called up by the UFC. Yeah, it was... Um, I'll, I'll, I'll remember that phone call until the day I die because of... I was always, even like I said, growing up in this sport and, and not only my dad... Didn't but like I said, didn't believe that I would that I could do it. But everybody believed I couldn't do it. You know, at the end of the day, it was and I, and I, and I proving someone wrong is that's such a strong, strong thing. If you if you set out to proving someone wrong, you can use that to really, really get you know be the best person that you can be. And and I guess when I had that call, like like you said, it was I think I think it was something silly. Like I'd I'd started my professional career in 2012 and I'd, I'd been training since like 2010 for mixed martial arts and it was like getting the six years of constant hard work and not having the right financial backing and then getting in there and getting the actual getting the actual call itself look you're in the UFC and I used to watch that I used to watch it religiously I, I loved I loved the UFC and I thought maybe one day I'd make it and then getting the actual call to get in it was like you just thought it was like that six years and it that six years got squeezed into that ten seconds for me, and I just had a, I just got had to let it out. I guess I'm an emotional person as it is. You know, like I said, they call me the the crybaby. That's what it is. You know, and <laughs> I I had the the fight in 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 Belfast, won the fight, and then I apparently I spent the next hour and a half the, the moments that I can't remember. I'd spent the next hour and a half afterwards crying my eyes out because of I've just achieved. The, so I could have finished my career then. Like that's the thing. I could have finished my career after the first UFC fight. I had seven in total, but I could have finished after that one fight. I'd done what I set out to do. So everything, everything else from that moment on was a bonus. So like I was 13 and 0 after a fight. So the the realization of losing, that didn't scare me. 
the realization of finishing up there, I could have lost every single fight from then onwards. I had done what I set out to do. I was the the first ever Welsh guy to step foot on the UFC canvas, and I got a win in my first fight. And I was done. That was me completed. I, I'd completed life. I'd completed what I needed to do, you know. And then, obviously, I was still young, though. You know, I was, what, 12, what was I, 26 years old. And it's like, well, can't stop now. And it was one of those moments where it was like, it was like, well, if you stop now, what else are you going to do? Because I'm not good at nothing else. I can, I can, I can fight, you know. I might not necessarily enjoy it, but I fight. I can do it well. And obviously, we've had, we've had six fights since then, and now we're opening a new chapter in that book. And so, to, to talk about that, that, that new chapter, um, like the, the, the move to Bellator. Um, I know you don't like talking about money. You don't have to if you don't want to. But there's been so much in the press. Um, around the sort of pay structures of UFC and how we're seeing so many UFC fighters now fighting in Bellator and, and, and recently hearing fighters saying that they've made more in their one fight at Bellator. I think it was Corey Anderson yeah. said that he'd made more money in his recent Bellator fight than he had in his... I think he might even have said his whole career put together in the UFC. And, you know, I just wonder how how important, you know, the, the, the financial implications are for, 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 you know, looking at your career and your future within, within combat sports. Speaking, I'll speak, I'll speak, I won't obviously talk about figures, but I'll, sp- I'll, I'll speak about how much of a difference there is. So I could have had the, the contract the UFC offered. I could have lost my Bellator fight, my next Bellator fight, and I would have earned more than what I would have if I won the UFC. So that's double the money. There, just there and then, just that little one incident there. Like for me, if I win my next two Bellator fights, it would have been, I, I would have earned more in them two Bellator fights than I would have in seven UFC fights. Wow. That's a wow. huge, yeah. huge difference. And just, just for clarification, anyone listening that doesn't know, you, you weren't cut from the UFC or anything. You were on a two fight win streak in the UFC and, uh, and you tested free agency, right? You just thought my contract's up. I'm, I'm going to just go out there and, and see what other organizations can offer me. The the, the the actual conversation went like this, right, Blake? It was, there's a guy in that division who had the same record as me at that time. I felt like that I personally had fought better people. We had the same record. The, so we were both five and two with the promotion. And I looked at his paycheck and he was getting, he was getting, I think it was like $20,000 more than I was. So I just and I and I and I I, I believe that I fought well, not believed I did fight better people you know and so I said I want the same as him I wasn't asking for more I wasn't taking less but I wasn't asking for more so I said a number which was the same identical to what this guy was getting paid and he'd fought he'd had the same record as me the same amount of fights as me with the promotion I believe I fought better guys and they offered me twenty thousand dollars less. I can't do nothing on it, you know. I, I I couldn't I couldn't say no to it. It was a case of, you know, I, I, I want I want to be able to invest in my life after this. You know, I'm going to be mm. done in five years, and what, what am I going to do after that? It's a case of, I guess you have to have that sort of intelligence with knowing how much you're worth as as, as a fighter. And I, yes. and I always knew I was worth this. I always did know. And to be honest. This isn't where I want to be now, but but Bellator, they literally. So when I so when I spoke my manager, Brian said, "Well, what do you want me to do?" I said, "Well, he's got a good relationship with with Bellator. 
and he texted Bellator and said, look, they should get back to us in, in 24 hours. They phoned him up half an hour later. And I think within an hour of, of having that phone call, the decision was made. It was that it was wow. that quick. And people can say whatever they want to. You know, obviously the 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 UFC is a very well-known machine. And I feel like Bellator is an up and coming. Although they've been here a long, long time, I feel like it's up and coming. They're doing the right things to get on par with these guys. Still, they're still a while off. They're still a way off, but they're getting there. They're in the right direction. And having the people like Scott Corker there, who who is an amazing guy, who was who, who has done fantastic things for that promotion, it's going the right direction. And um, for me personally, it was an no-brainer. I, I just want. I haven't got children yet, but I know that I, I I saw how hard my mother worked when 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 we were growing up, and I want to be able to be in a position where I can provide for my family, and being a company man and getting beaten up for peanuts ain't going to do that. And, Absolutely. I mean, you, you mentioned uh, fighters coming over from the UFC to Bellator. Uh, one of those guys is in your weight class, Magomed Magomedov. Uh, he got a win recently, and he's one of only two people to, bite your, to, to beat Sorry, your upcoming opponent. I'm going to say Mateos Matos. I'm not sure if I've got his pronunciation of his name exactly right. But you're fighting him Bang on May 21st at Bellator 259. And uh, the only losses Matos has had is is Peter Yarn, who everyone should know very, very well, and Magomed Magomedov, who I, I think a lot of people rate very highly. So what, what are your thoughts on, on that upcoming fight and, and on Matos as an opponent? Matos is, is not this um, stereotypical Brazilian who, who's got a really good ground game and Matos is a good all-round package. Very good all-round. He's good everywhere. Not amazing in, in one aspect, but, but good everywhere. And I feel like that this is a very, very difficult fight to take first off off the bat. This isn't an easy fight. But then again, in the same breath, I never asked for an easy fight. They offered me three names. I said yes to every single one of them. It was, um, It's one of them things now where Matos has signed the contract. So Matos was the one that did step up on this and... It's a difficult fight. This isn't going to be easy. And I'm not thinking for one second it's easy. I'm not looking. I'm not you going, right, after this guy, I'm going to be asking for this, this, this guy. No, no, no. I'm solely focused on this fight. This fight is a big fight. There is every chance that I could get caught here. So I need to be careful. I need to make sure I'm I'm on point on my game. And unfortunately for Matos, this is the best version of me has come out, has come out of the gym. You know, I feel like, I am coming into my prime now. This is Brett Johns coming into his prime. I'm not already in my prime, but I'm coming. I, I feel different, and especially after our last fight on Fight Island, where I felt like I won the fight. It was a bit scrappy. I won the fight, but I didn't feel like I got to showcase me. But now I do. I get to showcase me, and I get to show the world this this changed new version of me. <clears throat> Unfortunately, Matos is in the way. Magomed Magomed have brought the, the blueprint in front of me, and. Let's not beat her on the bush. It's, it's probably the similar way it's going to go, in my opinion. Well, you're getting me very excited for the fight already, Brett. Uh, <laughs> and what, one of the things you just... It sounds like you're in a great place, particularly mentally. It sounds like also physically you sound like you're doing a really good job of... of a, it's a very long training camp, but you sound like you're really there. You spoke uh, before your, your last fight about happiness being such a huge factor for you and how in some of your previous fights you know like you, your happiness just wasn't necessarily there you felt like uh mixed martial arts for you was like a nine to five job I think I've, I've seen a quote of you saying but but since that time 
you, you've regained your joy for the sport and your happiness for it. And it sounds like you've got it right now when we're speaking to you. So how, how did that mentality shift come about? Did you have to do anything in particular to, 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 to rekindle your love for the sport? Yeah, it did. And, and, and it was a very difficult thing to do. I, I had to say goodbye to a team I was with for, for 12 years. Um, towards the end, it kind of went that way where it was a bit of a... We just didn't see eye to eye towards the end, which is, which is very unfortunate. But then I got to, obviously, I got to speak to Shaky and show mixed martial arts. And I, I, got, I had a good relationship with them guys anyway. And the actual initial movement was for me to move to Vegas. But then... I went up to help Jack Shaw for his fight with in UFC London, uh, which was back in 2020 before the pandemic hit. And I I, I had a chat with with, with Sheik and said, look, I want to I want to fight you, I want to fight you, and and he was happy. And it became I go up there now and I sm- I smile. It's mad because when I used to go to the gym, I used to go to the gym and I used to leave straight away. It was it was a nine to five job and and people would die to get to the place where I am right now. You know, people would do anything to get the place. and I completely took that for granted. I was unhappy every day and and now it's it's mad because look, I, I can go in the May twenty first and get not clean and conscious. It, it's it's the I've come I've come to terms with that, you know, but after that, I'll smile about it. You know, at the end of the day, I'm 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 a happy person in, in my everyday life, and there's more there is more to, to this world than fighting. And I've realised that now, and because I've accepted that, it's made me enjoy fighting more, which is mad. You know, it, it it's it's a crazy old way this the sport works, and um, yeah, it's uh, being happy. A happy fighter is a very very dangerous fighter, and that's the terminology I use now. A happy fighter is a dangerous fighter. And I'm dangerous right now. Oh, wonderful. Jack, um, uh, Brett, Jack, you said Jack Shaw. We look, um, oh, we, oh, we I look, mean, we look identical. <laughs> we've we've also got an we interview both, with Jack coming up in a, in a little while. So, <laughs> we, oh, we, oh, we, we both like Oasis. We both look like twins. We're brothers, basically. Well, and I, I heard Jack said, so, who's training you, saying that you're you're both now really pushing each other beyond. Because you you know he was saying that maybe you didn't necessarily always have, and Jack didn't necessarily always have uh, the people around them to really push them to the next level. But in in Jack uh, and and you you with Jack as well, you found each other, and and that you'll you'll be you're able to really push each other now to that next level and find new levels within your game. It's honestly being with uh, being with Jack. It's 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 brought me up tenfold. And uh, Jack, well, Jack would say the same. Jack, Jack feels the same as well. I I I haven't been like secretive about that. I message Jack every at most days, just tell him thank you. You know, at the end of the day, him and his old man have have, have been absolutely brilliant. Uh, Carl Parker, he, all the guys up there have been amazing, and my other teammates who were there as well. It, they've been fantastic. They're part. They're partly why I'm this happy and why I feel like I do now. You know, and um, honestly, it's it's a, it's an honour to represent that team now and being at the the world stage. And and now that gym gets to say, you know, they've got representatives in Cage Warriors and UFC and Bellator. You know, so I do feel like the the Welsh MMA scene is definitely growing in the right direction now. You know. Brett, I want to have you on every week. You just put a massive smile on my face the way you're speaking. I'm like, oh, I'm just feeling good. I might phone Brett every now and again just for a pick me up, <laughs> like 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 a, like a mindset coach. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Look, Brett, can't thank you enough for your time today, mate. It's been an absolute joy talking to you, and and obviously on behalf of both Blake and myself. 
all the best uh, in the upcoming fight, mate. We'll be rooting for you, as will the whole of Great Britain, I'm sure. And, yeah, just wishing you all the best. Yeah, thank you, boys. I, I, I really do appreciate you guys taking the time to have a little chat with me as well. It's uh, This is what I mean about the small things about this this uh, this MMA junior, man. You get to meet some great people. So uh, I appreciate that, guys. And uh, hopefully I'll get to speak to you afterwards with a couple of black eyes and a nice big smile on my face. Uh, well, we'll, we'll oh, hold you to that, mate. And it's, it's honestly, it's our pleasure. It's been a lovely chat. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Speak to you soon. All the best, mate. Thank you. Thanks, there you go. Mate. Thank you, lads. Have a good day. Sorry, guys. I mean, how wonderful was Brett Johns? Well, it's brilliant. It, but honestly, I mean, amazing for him to be so open with us, talking about kind of issues he, he, he might have with uh, with eating and, and, and stuff like that because of uh, uh, missed weight cuts in the past. I think that was uh, uh, really brave of him to be open about stuff like that. Absolutely. But also, I mean, honestly, sometimes he spoke and I was just like, I, the grin on my face was just ear to ear because he just seemed like he was in such a, a positive happy place and yeah I just oh just so I mean I wanted him to win anyway I think everyone that listens to this know that I'm slightly biased towards the the British fighters I always want to see British fighters do well but I I want that even more so for him now because he just uh, yeah he he just made me smile I thought he's just such a a, a nice lovely bloke and yeah I just I want him to win really badly (laughs) haven't we been spoiled because I mean, we've pretty much said the same, and that's taking nothing away from Brett. We've pretty much said the same about every fighter we've spoke to. And, you know, it's, it's been such a lovely sort of peep behind the curtain because you see these athletes when they've got their fight face on in the octagon, like, you know, really going to work. And so it's to, to then sort of catch them not at work and, and talking, you just realise that... They're really nice human beings, and it's you know that they're, they're, they're high-level athletes, you know, and and it really does back up, you know, fans of combat sports that have you know the, the amount of people that we've spoke to. I mean, very much the fight or flight kind of concept that we come up with. That there's lots of people that still think it's a barbaric sport, and they don't like it when it goes to the ground and things like that. And and I understand that, but I think the more times people hear these kind of conversations from intelligent high-level athletes, the more people that aren't really on board with, with mixed martial arts are going to see that this sport has evolved and, and, and these are, you know, high-level mixed martial artists. Absolutely. I think that's one of the reasons I wanted us to do this podcast in the way that we're doing it is is for that very reason. Because, look, if, if, you, if you're someone that finds a sport too brutal, then that's absolutely valid. That's fine. Some do, some don't. Uh, there's there's nothing wrong with that if you if you if you find the sport too brutal then that's absolutely fine but what you can't do and what i will always defend is you you can't start putting these fighters in some kind of bracket of oh they're just meatheads or they're all just like mindless you know thuggy types or you know they just want to hurt people no that's not who these people are they are martial artists they've been training these disciplines you know from brett johns from four years old being called crybaby he weren't someone that was scrapping on the streets he was in the gym already crying at that point well exactly 
exactly. Yeah. But and and how brilliant is that? How yeah. brilliant is that 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 this person has has been through all of that? Is probably getting called a crybaby in the gym, but then has decided, no, I'm going to find something within me that's not, you know, someone that enjoys confrontation. He he, he admitted himself he doesn't want an argument or a fallout with someone to happen, but he's found something within himself that if confrontation does happen. He's he's not shying away from it. He he, he yeah. can deal with it, and and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think that's an absolutely fantastic thing. And, and as you say, these people are elite level athletes, and, and they're martial artists. It's you know long gone are the days of these kind of thuggish people yeah. that fight in cages and all that stuff. That's not who these elite level athletes are. And uh, and I'm, I'm I'm really pleased that we get to showcase that through through them just being such nice people yeah. and great to hear that bellator uh, you know uh, 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 are giving fighters that extra financial security it seems that a lot of other organizations aren't offering and well, you know, yeah that's great to hear that's fantastic to hear. I mean, you, you're about PFL as well that have got their $1 million tournament and, and one championship have really pushed the boat out with fighters that are, you know, big fighters like Eddie Alvarez and, and, and Demetrius Johnson. So the, the UFC is not the only place to be. Yes, it is still the, the, the most famous organization. It's probably where, if you are a star, it's where you learn the most money. If you're John Jones, if you're Conor McGregor, if you're Ronda Rousey, uh, yes, you you probably earn the most money there. But if you're underneath that kind of one percent of of mixed martial artists, it sounds to me like you're better off in in Bellator uh, uh, fighting for for more money. I mean, the fact that he can fight two fights in Bellator and make what he made in in two fights of what seven. he could have done in the UFC in seven. I mean, that's that's massive. And again, there's this narrative sometimes that I hope is being kind of chipped away at now that, oh, Bellator is where the UFC fighters go when they're too old or when they can't make it anymore. Then they're not quite the, the top tier anymore. That's not the case. You know, right. but Brett Johns was on a two fight win streak and tested free agency. We've seen it a lot with fighters. Corey Anderson is... Uh, a top light heavyweight. I, I, I would put him in there against Jan. I know he has been beat by Jan Blahovic before, but that's that's not necessarily going to go that way every time. Corey Anderson could definitely get wins out of uh, people in that light heavyweight division in, in the top five of, of the UFC. I mean, the, I these think... are fighters that, that are, are not past it by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. They are they are still great great fighters, and they're just going up to Bellator because they can earn more, and it boosts the level of Bellator as well. The level of Bellator yeah. with fighters like uh, you know we've seen we've got Pitbull and AJ McKee but also Magomed Magomedov who we mentioned coming over who's a real threat to that bantamweight title is, is, is a big challenge I mean that's it, Magomed Magomedov I think he's got a win over Peter Yarn as well so mm. th- th- these are top fighters going over there really boosting the level of Bellator and I, I really want to see where Brett fits into all that and I really hope he does well Absolutely, and I think it was you know my, my first kind of inkling to this was was when Rory McDonald moved to Bellator. Yeah, and you know because he was he would have been I'm sure he still would have been a top five fighter in UFC at that point. Hundred percent. Like, and 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 I'm I'm pretty damn sure he was quite outspoken in saying it's purely financial. Yeah, you know? and and um, and. and you know, as as, um, as as Brett said as well, he said, you know, I want to be able to provide for my family when I have one. And, and you know, you, you've only got X amount of years to make, you know, make, you know, the, you, 
I don't know, to, to, to put the money in the bank to, to, to get you through however long. Do you know what I mean? So that I think more power to the fighters taking control of that and, and being able to kind of plan their lives and, and, and a post-fight career as well. Uh, absolutely, because as you know, as he said, he was a world champion in other organisations and he couldn't even afford the bus fare home. I mean, that is the huge discrepancy between the elite level kind of UFC and probably Bellator fighters and the contracts they have and the fact that you know that that's not that money isn't filtering down it's you know that that money stops and then these these smaller organizations these regional organizations they're they're not able to pay or they don't pay whatever one it is uh, the money that these these fighters deserve and um it's a shame to see that because as you say there's, there's a limited shelf life on on this sport like there is in a lot of sports but the sacrifices you're making in this sport is is more you you know the the potential physical and mental uh, issues you can have after fighting uh, you know 15 career in mixed martial arts it's, it's way different to, to football and, and a lot of other sports so uh, yeah we yeah, we need to I don't know how you, you can resolve that but I, I really hope that gets resolved and hopefully people testing free agency more and finding out where they can earn the most money is the way this thing will be will be dealt with and then the UFC will either have to pay lower tier fighters more money or we might see the Bellators of the world or maybe the One Championships and, and PFLs actually challenging the UFC for being that, that top dog. I don't see that happening for a while, but maybe one day we'll get there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in the meantime, if this is your uh, first time listening to the podcast, then um, you've missed some great chats um, with some some incredible uh, athletes as well. We've spoken to Jojo Calderwood. Uh, we've spoken to Paddy Pimlet, Molly McCann, Nathaniel Wood, Brad Pickett. Um, have I missed any fighters? Out Arnold Allen. Arnold Allen. Oh, gosh, yeah. That, that, Jay- that guy in the top ten. <laughs> yeah, that guy in the top ten. Uh, we've, we've got interviews with, with JJ Wilson that will either be released just before this or might come just after this. And we've got interviews with, with, with Jack Shaw as well coming up. So uh, we've got some great fighters uh, that you can go back and, and listen to their interviews. And also um, fight or flights. We've had great fight or flights where we get a known face uh, to, uh, to watch watch a fight of our choosing and uh, I say known face you laugh at me though, oh, when I say known face I know I, I liked like, it because I, ne- no. I never want to say the word celebrity because no, it sounds I hate a bit it. wanky I and really I just thought that was so good I thought why have I never thought of that one before so no I was smiling because I just thought oh he's nailed it with that one <laughs> oh well no but that's good because I the word celebrity really pisses because I think of like a reality star that's only yep. famous for like I don't know shagging someone on TV or something Yeah. and it's like when you think of like a musician or an actor or a, a sportsman or, yeah. or something like that. They're not famous for shitty reasons. They're famous because they're good at something, they're hopefully, art, yeah. you know, and, and their art forms and stuff. So, so yeah, so I do hate the word celebrity. So known faces is what I'm going with. And uh, we've had Emily Head from The Inbetweeners, Laura Checkley from uh, King Gary. We've also had, uh, or will be having, depending on when they're all coming out, uh, Ben Shepard, Lee Mack, uh, Thomas Turgoose from This Is England. Um, and I'm not sure if I've missed anyone out 
there. Well, we've got a gang. We've got a little gang that's now uh, going to be returning. So that, that gang consists of, uh, obviously, uh, myself and Blake uh, and MMA superfan Scroobius Pip uh, and MMA commentator Brian Lacey. So we've done a, uh, a great show, uh, the four of us, looking uh, ahead to a, a, a recent card. And we will be recording again. Uh, well, I guess it would have probably been in and around the... Well, we don't actually know when we, this one's coming out. So we're recording it in a few days' time with uh, Brian and Pip again, uh, looking up to uh, another big UFC card. So they're, they're great, uh, great for the bands as well, because not only is um, Brian a commentator, he's a stand-up comedian as well. So there's uh, there's some good bants on that one. But I think that's that's us done for today. Um, we're on the socials. Uh, give us a like, love, share and a retweet on them. And uh, we're back next time, right? We're back next time. So see you later, guys. Ciao. Bye.